You are now tuned in to the Decoding Success Podcast, where we reveal game-changing habits, formulas, and routines from the world's most successful individuals to help you think and live larger. Welcome to the Decoding Success Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Labrie. To all of the Decoding Success faithful that are tuned in right now, welcome to another episode. And hey, if you are new here, welcome. I am so glad you're tuned in for this one right here because today we are joined by a powerful hold up, excuse me, a very powerful woman. Today, our guest is none other than Latina dynamite, Nelly Galan. Nelly is a self-made media mogul. She was dubbed the Tropical Tycoon by the New York Times Magazine. She was the first Latina president of entertainment for a US television network. She is an Emmy award-winning producer of over 700 episodes of television in English and Spanish, which she produced through her multimedia company, Lawn Entertainment. Nelly is the founder of the Adelante Movement, which seeks to empower Latina and multicultural women economically, entrepreneurially, and entrepreneurially inside organizations. She is the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Self-Made, Becoming Empowered, Self-Reliant, and Rich in Every Way, which is about the revolution in women's entrepreneurship led by multicultural women in the U.S. and emerging women around the world. Her book, has been published in English, Spanish, and Mandarin Chinese. And with that said, her next book, Don't Buy Shoes, Buy Buildings, is about investing and thinking like an owner while you work for others. Nellie just completed her doctorate in clinical psychology, and I am so grateful to amplify her message and to add value to everyone tuned in right now. But before hopping into our conversation just yet, you know how much I love to add value to everyone. The Decoding Success Podcast and Audible have teamed up to deliver any and everyone that's tuned in right now a free audiobook of your choice. Audible offers us all a great way to help optimize our time while on the go. So if you're someone that finds themselves on the grind, you're hustling, you're bustling, you're doing the damn thing, this offer is for you. Remember, a free audiobook of your choice zero strings attached. All you have to do is head over to audibletrial.com forward slash decoding success to claim yours today. Now, without further ado, let's hop into today's episode with Nelly Galan. Nelly, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. I am so thrilled to have you here. I feel like I know so much about you just from reading about you, uh, seeing your work come to fruition. It is absolutely amazing, all the empowering projects you have going on. So I just want to say thank you for, for hopping on here. Oh, Matt, I'm, I'm very proud of you and I love people that do things. So I'm into, you can ask me whatever you want. Let's do it. First question, straight off the bat, Nelly, how do you personally define success? Oh, that's a great question. Well, in, in my book, I say the book is called Self-Made, Becoming Empowered, Self-Reliant, and Rich in Every Way. And I think rich in every way is how I define success because I'm Latina, you know, and I'm an immigrant. So to me, to just make money for the sake of making money alone doesn't cut it. Um, you know, I've, I've worked for a lot of billionaires, Matt, and I've seen those billionaires actually make money very easily. And it's taught me that it's not that hard to make money, but it's hard to have a rich life in every way. So, you know, I really strive for that. You know, I'm from New Jersey. My parents are Cuban. We're immigrants. And I think that they really gave me the right formula, which is 
you know, that, that rich in family, rich in love, rich in a spiritual life, rich in growth. But then I feel that, you know, what they missed out on because they had to leave a country for political reasons, they didn't get the rich part in abundance. And I believe we can have it all, not all at the same time. But I think it's important to strive for abundance. I think sometimes if you come from traditional cultures, you think that if you're rich, that that's like a dirty word. Um, you know, I'm, I was raised Catholic where that was kind of a bad thing. And I think that's BS. I think you can be abundant and still have a rich life in every way. I totally agree with you. And I, I love that. Now, my question to that is, how do you find yourself staying on track to continuously achieve that, you know, being rich in every way? I know you mentioned that you're not going to have everything all at once. And, you know, I, mm -hmm. I find it to be, you know, quite hard to do that myself. So how do you find yourself staying on track? Well, I think, I think that you can't do it all at once. I think there's a time for everything in your life. I think when you're young, uh, you really have to use your life force and your energy. Like you don't think it's going to go away, but it starts dissipating. And you can help that by exercising and, you know, taking vitamins and all kinds of things. But the truth is when you're in your teens, your 20s, your 30s, even your early 40s, you are at maximum energetic, you know, in your life. So, you know, I say to young people, I don't really feel sorry for you if you have four jobs. If you have 20 side hustles, because I did it. I lived in New York City in a four floors walk up, you know, saved all my money, you know, saved two years of salary, had, you know, I was, I was trying to start a business and I had three other side hustles and that's the time to do it. And when you're, when you're young, people think like you make money when you're young and you go spend it like a crazy person. That is not the time to spend your money. That's the time to save your money and invest your money because investments have a 20 year path. So, you know, I'm in my fifties now and I'm like stuck for life. So you want to, you want to work like a dog. I mean, when I was 29 years old living in New York, trying to start a business, I was dead broke. And by the time I was 31, I had made my first million dollars because my business finally took off. And I took that million dollars and I still live like a pauper for another 10 years. And I invested that money in real estate and that real estate, I mean, forget my TV life, which goes up and down. And, you know, my, my real estate in 20 years became worth so much that, that I never had to work another day in my life. So to me, when you're young is when you hustle, when you work, when you save, when you live beneath your means, because when you're 50, you're so young and then you've got all the money to do whatever the hell you want. You know, you just said something that I really want to touch on because personally, 26-year-old millennial you're talking to right now, I right. have definitely been guilty of living above my means, you know, and I, I'm right. totally in, in a similar position, you know, at... When I, when I failed out of college before I, you know, went back and graduated, when I failed out, I felt like, you know, what I needed to do was just hustle, right? I thought that making money was going to mask the pain that I was feeling inside from being looked at as a failure, right? When, when you fail out, your parents yeah. are, are upset at you. On top of that, my mother was battling cancer at the time. I was already kicked out mm. of two high schools. You know, my, my parents yeah. were divorced. So like all of these things, I thought making money was going to heal that, but you know, my question to you is, how do you live beneath your means? You know, because I've definitely got caught up in times where, listen, you know, I, I live right outside of Manhattan. It's really hard not to want to go to Tao downtown or, or go to, yeah, you know, a meatpacking district club, right? It's challenging. So how do you develop that discipline in regards to maintaining that mindset to live? Beneath? Yeah. 
I'm, I'm so glad you're asking me that because this is the same thing I tell my own son and it's the same tell, thing I tell all the young people that work for me. You know, when you're young, you have a lot of FOMO, right? You feel like if you don't show up to a club or to a party or all that, you have like that fear of missing out. And what you don't realize is where you are. When I was in my $300 apartment, my fourth floor walk up in the East Village that was the size of a closet, where I was is what got me to where I am. And when you realize, when you really internalize that where you are, messed up, failed out, because failing out doesn't mean anything. I mean, school isn't, I think school, look, I'm someone who went back to school at 45 and got a doctorate, but it's very different to go back to school later with a real intention to learn. You know, unless you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer or some real professional that needs a lot of school is BS. You're, you're almost better off going to get life experience, which is what I did early in my life. So a lot of times you fail out because you're bored and you don't have a mission and you don't have an intention. So go find an intention. And the intention is, what is your big goal? You have to write it down. You have to put pictures up. You have to know, you know, I did, when I was 21 years old, I went to Color Me Mine and I did, you know, one of those you know, clay things. I did a picture of what I wanted my life to look like. And that, and that thing, I left it at my parents' house. And my parents sent it to me two years ago. And when I got it, I cried because I realized I manifested that, that thing. You know, I live in a double lot in the Venice canals. One house is pink, one house is orange. That's what I drew, like a house with palm trees in, a, in warm weather. I wrote, one is my office and one is my home. That's where I live. You have to think so big. And you have to write it down so that you have the ability to sacrifice and not go to that club and not buy that drink because you know you're going to reach that goal. And so that means no FOMO. FOMO, everyone else should have FOMO about you. And guess what? All my friends that are my age go, wow, did you just make way more money than we did? And I go, no, remember, you bought a Jaguar when you were 30. You went to Europe when you were 30. You did all these things. I bought buildings. So now I'm wealthy. You're still working for a living. That's the difference. No, you're, you're such a boss. I love talking to you. But <laughs> seriously, though, like, where's the balance in that? You know, because uh, this past summer, I went There's to no your- balance. No, wait a minute. There's no balance at once. Like, here's a story. When, you're, when you want to go for a goal, there is no balance. Your personal life goes to hell. Everything goes to hell. You have to get to certain markers before there's certain balance. I'm not saying you can't go to Europe. But you have to go to Europe on $100 a day. You can't go to Europe when you're in your 20s like, like you're rich. No. And by the way, there's super something fun and cool about doing things in their proper age. You know, going to Europe and like figuring out the cheapest way to go and blogging about it versus trying to be a 50-year-old when you're 20. Enjoy the 50-year-old version of Europe when you're 50. You know what? There's something else. Like, you know, people that do things too quick. And try to like enjoy the great things in life too quick. Then there's nothing else to live for. That's when they start experimenting and being weird later. You know, I'm very blessed. My son tells me, mom, you're such an innocent person. You know why? Because I really haven't had to do anything weird. Not in sex, not in money, not in anything else. Because I've done everything at its proper time. Everybody wants to rush through life and get there quicker. What? What? Why? Why? What's the point of that? Enjoy being poor and living in the East Village and having friends that are artists and having to find the cheapest places online to go to. 
Enjoy being 30 and getting your first crappy apartment or your first condo with three other people. Whatever it is, enjoy every phase of life because it ends quickly. You know what? I will never be in my 20s in the East Village. I wish someone would have said to me, it's all going to work out because I would have enjoyed going to PS28 or whatever and seeing like crappy shows because I have no money. Enjoy every little bit of poverty, every little bit of everything. Because when you make money, when you accomplish things, you are so freaking proud of yourself because you knew how you got there that you don't feel like a fraud because some people just luck out and they get something big, but they don't know how they got there and they spend the rest of their life feeling guilty about having it and they don't know how to get it again when they lose it. No, 100%. I'm thinking literally last night I was delivering a keynote at... um... Florida Gulf, uh, Florida Gulf Coast University. And one of the things I talked about is exactly what you just said, you know, rushing the process and, and being more so in the moment. And the, the example I gave was uh, essentially a butterfly coming out of its cocoon, right? You know, butterflies are beautiful, yeah. but to, to get out of the cocoon, it needs to, you know, flap its wings a whole bunch of times to be able to break free. And in that process, the breaking free process, that's how the butterfly, you know, builds strength in its wings to be able to fly. Now, if you rush that process and you want to see that beautiful butterfly before it's ready to come out and you take a knife and you cut open that cocoon and you let the butterfly out, it's just going to fall on its face. Right. And you talk about becoming fraud, right? It it all ties in. because Because the other thing is that you don't realize, and I'm a psychologist, so I can tell you this. Like when I look back at my life, I go, you know, when you try to do things too quick, you may be ready. Like, like I think I was 50 when I was 18 business-wise because my parents are, were dead broke, immigrants, and I had to hustle and make money. But emotionally, I was still 18. And so what you don't realize, like when I look back at my personal mistakes, you know, I got married at 18. I got divorced at 22. I picked really bad guys in my 20s because emotionally, I was not ready for all, you know, and I had not lived the phases of life. Like, just dating guys. I didn't go to college. I didn't date college. You know, I just kind of like, you know, I was, I was really okay in my business life, but in my personal life, I had not caught up to myself. So we forget that there's an evolution, not just business-wise, but emotionally. And that's why you have so many of these rich kids in Silicon Valley or, you know, people that just make, like, come up with a great idea and make a lot of money. But then there's a part of them that's very immature. And so nothing seems to work. Now, now you talk about being ready. How do you know when you're ready? Well, you don't, because when you're 18, you think you're the smartest person in the world. <laughs> and so, so what I, I, you know, my son, he's in college, he's a freshman. He talks to me like he's figured out life already. And I laugh because I go, oh, dude, you're going to just hit your head. You're going to hit your head against the wall. You don't know. But wisdom is knowing that you don't know that when someone that's older than you tells you something, you know, like I think to myself in my business career, I really did everything right because I somehow knew that all these people I worked for were smarter than me. I did. I was just like, you know what? I don't need to reinvent the wheel. It's Jerry Parencio who owns, you know, who bought the first station I ran, who ended up owning Telemundo and being a billionaire. I knew the day I met him, this guy's smarter than me. And so I was just like, you know what? If he tells me to do something, I'm just going to do it. In my personal life, I wasn't that smart. My mother told me that guy you're dating is a loser. Get rid of him. And I was like, my mom's an idiot. What does she know? She's an immigrant, blah, blah, blah. No, my mother was right. If you just listen to older people and listen when they tell you, hey, dude, you're about to make a very big mistake. You need to take that in. You just don't dismiss that. That's what a wise person, what a wise young person does 
is go, I don't need to make the same mistake 10 people are telling me they made. Yeah. Now, one thing just stood out to me, you know, you were very much so able to accept that, you know, you you felt that someone was smarter than you, as opposed to myself, where uh, I probably in the past, maybe not right now in this present moment would have felt some type of way. And I see it constantly. I literally see it constantly, like pardon my language, but it's almost like everything is a freaking dick measuring contest. And it is. it's, yeah. but like, how, how do you accept that? Okay. Someone is smarter than me. You know, like I, I feel like that in itself is a, is a struggle. It is a struggle because uh, somehow you think, and especially, you know, young people, you think, well, we know the internet and we know this and we know that. Yeah. And you do, and you are smarter about that. But you, when someone tells you something that somehow it bothers you, that you feel like somebody's stabbing you in the heart, that's a sign that they're giving you truth and you're just not ready to hear it. But it hurts because somewhere inside of you, you know that they're not wrong. I think not everything is in other words, there are truths that are not skill-based, but that are wisdom-based, that are experience-based. And that's the truth you need to listen to. Like, I'll give you my example. So I was this very young person. I had like hustled myself from the time I was 17. I got on this teenage version of 60 Minutes as a reporter. And then by the time I was 19, I was in Boston at CBS Network on track to be a network correspondent and a producer, which is what I wanted to do. And I interviewed Norman Lear, uh, who I don't even know if you know who he is, but he was like a big producer in the 80s. And he said to me, oh, my, my partner, Jerry Parencio, and I just bought the first Spanish TV station in the United States in New York, and actually in Newark, New Jersey. And then Jerry Parencio's office called me and they go, um, Norman wants us to meet you. And I meet Jerry Parencio. And it was like, I was the first Latina they met. I mean, I swear, that's what it was. And he says to me, I think you need to come and work for us and help us manage this TV station. And I'm thinking to myself, dude, I, I, everything Latino and Spanish sounds like crap to me. I'm at CBS. I'm going to be a network correspondent. And you want me to quit that job and come and work for you? That's what I thought. And I kind of said that in a very political way, but I said it. And he goes, young lady, you're Latina and you speak Spanish and you don't know the Latino market is going to be a multi-billion dollar business. He's like, and you don't know that you're going to be employee one of a multi-billion dollar business. He's like, let me ask you something. Are you a millionaire? I go, no, I'm dead broke. And he goes, well, I'm a multi-millionaire. He goes, and I'm going to be a billionaire. And he goes, are you insane? And I thought to myself, this fucking dude is right. <laughs> like, what the hell am I? And he goes, you know what you're going to grow up to be at CBS? A factory worker. How many, right now, what do you do right now? I go, I'm a stringer. I go and I interview a lot of people every day to work my way up to be a reporter. And he goes, that's factory work. He goes, you need to learn how to run a business and own a business and get your own business. He's like, that's factory work. And he diminished it so much in my head that I was like, oh my God, I'm a, he's right. I'm a factory worker. And, and I think that, I mean, I'm going to tell you something really harsh, Matt. Sometimes I think if I was my son now, and my son was a network correspondent or, or, or you know, on, on route to be a network correspondent at CBS, would he have quit that job, you know, where you're on TV, where it's your ego for, you know, some job that you don't even know what the hell it is? 
I don't know that he would because my son has been raised with more money than me. But I was raised with dead broke parents. So to me, the number one priority in my mind was to make money. So when he said to me, do you know what an employee number one? And what he was really saying, because now that I'm older and wiser, I can tell you what he was really saying. Imagine if you were employee one of Google, how freaking rich would you be? Oh, shit ton. <laughs> you would have a shit ton of money. What he was saying to me is, if you are the dumbest person in the world and you are employee number one of what will end up being Telemundo, you're going to be rich. And he was right. I was first to market. So truthfully, like, there's no way I could have failed. And I didn't. Yeah. No, I love it. I love it. And I want to dive deeper into your story because I really do love it. Like, you know, you've really moved mountains with everything you've done, whether it was with your book or being, you know, involved with media and things of that nature. But I want to go all the way back. Now, you, you've came here from Cuba with your family. What was the transition like yeah. for you? You know, what was that transitional period and like the challenges? Well, you know, my parents uh, and I left Cuba when I was five years old. And it was very traumatic. I think people don't realize because, you know, I love talking about this because now we have so many immigration issues. I was a political refugee. It's like when you hear people say they have to leave their country because they're going to get killed. That's what happened to us. And from one day to the next, my parents had to wait and wait and wait to be able to get out. And we were lucky because my grandparents were born in Spain. Most people didn't have the luck that we had that Spain got us out because my grandparents were Spanish citizens. We, we had to leave from one day to the next, and it was very traumatic. Like, my mother had to throw all my toys away, and she's like, we're leaving with the clothes on our back. And so, I mean, I have had so much trauma about having to throw away all my toys, and I never played with another toy ever again. I had to deal with that in therapy years later. I mean, people don't realize what people go through when from one day to the next, you have to think about, you're in your home, and everybody goes, you have to leave with the clothes on your back, and you may never see your country again. That's what we went through. And we were lucky because at the time, the Presbyterian Church in the United States decided they were going to adopt one Cuban family per church. And we got adopted by a lady in southern New Jersey who had had one of her sons die in, in, in Vietnam and the other one died in a pooling accident. And she was so distraught that her minister said, you need to adopt a family so you can do service so you can feel better about yourself. And she took us in for a year. She found my dad. My dad, who had been a business owner, had to go paint cars on the assembly line at Ford, and happily so. My mother had to go work in a factory. We were, it was very difficult. My parents didn't speak the language, and I had to become the translator for my parents. So we went through a very traumatic experience, and I witnessed my poor parents really suffer what it meant to start all over again. My mother, who had a master's, they told her her degree was worthless and she had to start all over again. Everything. I mean, it was like starting, my parents were in their mid thirties and they were starting from scratch. Wow. You know, and, and could never get back to where they were in Cuba. So all of that was very, very painful. And I think that that really, you know, that's why I write in my book, Think Like an Immigrant, because those values that my parents gave me to be grateful to this country to really work hard and have an incredible work ethic, to know that everything could be taken away from you and to enjoy and appreciate every moment, to value your parents and understand what they have been through and to help them, which a lot of kids forget about. All those things 
are what give me give, have given me the core of who I am, which doesn't allow me to go off the deep end and think that I'm some big shit when I make money because tomorrow I don't make money. Tomorrow something could happen. It's really about cultivating being grounded. Totally. And those are the people that really do well. I love that. I love that. Now, uh, on the topic, you know, uh, in regards to all that trauma that you, you've witnessed and, you know, you, you dealt with firsthand, you know, you kind of started out as an entrepreneur really young. And I really love this story. Yeah. You know, I, I love yeah. it so much. You started to sell Avon to, you know, to help pay for your, your own tuition. Like, I love yeah. that. Yeah, well, my parents were going through a very difficult time. And again, one of the things that you get taught as an immigrant is we're in it together. Like this is a team, the family's a team and we help each other. And my parents had sent me to all-girl Catholic school because they thought I was really smart. And they thought that I was, you know, I really needed to go to a good school and then they couldn't afford it. And a lady down the street, um, older Jewish lady said to me, honey, I sell Avon. Do you want to sell some Avon in your school? And we'll give you some free lipstick. And I'm like, forget the free lipstick. I'll do it. But let's share the money 50-50. And I've seen (laughs) that on a TV show. And um, she said, okay. And the first week I made 200 bucks. And by the fourth week I was making $800 a month and I paid off my tuition. And then I had the nuns send home a letter that I had gotten a scholarship because my, I didn't want my dad to feel bad. That's the other thing. I think it is not to be underestimated that when you're the kid of immigrants, you, you grow up being compassionate and having empathy for people. Because I knew that my parents loved me the most in life and would do anything for me. And I didn't think that they didn't have money because they weren't trying hard enough. I thought they didn't have money because the world had dealt them a very difficult blow. How much do you feel like faith played a part in, in all of this? Like how much, like how much did you rely on a, a faith background? I know you mentioned it earlier in the show. That's why I'm curious to know. I think back then it really didn't mean a lot because I was sort of angry at God in a way. And I thought, honestly, growing up Catholic, I thought it was kind of BS because uh, a lot of the stuff I was being taught was like money is the root of all evil and, you know, God will help you in the next life and To me, it sounded like a lot of BS. But I will tell you this, as I get older and wiser again, I do think faith, I don't know if you want to call it any particular religion, because I think sometimes religions in general, you know, is what people fight about or what wars are about or, you know, and I think all faith is the same. Having faith is the same. And I do think that when you are, I do believe now that when you are a good person, when you finally realize that you do the right thing, not because you think you'll be punished, but because the right thing is, makes you feel better, that then little miracles show up in your life that you didn't expect. And just the same way bad things happen to all of us, little miracles happen to all of us. And when you, and when you get them from coming from a place of having done good things, it's really pretty sweet. A hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. Now, earlier, you also mentioned you had an opportunity in Texas. Now, if I remember correctly, this opportunity was something that you really wanted to do and you were kind of going up against your parents who didn't want you to take yeah. it, yet you, yet you did, right? So yeah, yeah. can you walk us through that? Because yeah. there- No, that's an important oh, one, yeah. Because I would love that. I, I, love for, I love for women to hear this because so many women, especially multicultural women, are afraid to leave home. So- I got this job, which was incredible, at Seventeen Magazine as a guest editor. And because of that, and I wrote articles and this and that, 
there was this like kind of casting going on around the country for teenage reporters, not teenage reporters, reporters that were older than teenagers because they didn't want to deal with kids that were underage, but that looked like teenagers to be in the teenage version of 60 Minutes. And the, this woman called me because she had read my, you know, my, my byline in 17 Minutes. She goes, you really should come to the auditions for this thing. And I, I love showing my kid my audition because I looked like ugly Betty, okay? I was not <laughs> cute. I didn't know what I was doing, which goes to show it's not about looks. It's not about anything. It's about life force, right? I go and I do this, this audition and I get offered this job to move to Austin, Texas to be like a little baby reporter. And they thought I was 19 and I was 17 because they assumed I didn't go to the audition if I wasn't. It said you had to be over 18, but I never said anything. I just went. So I tell my parents, I figure I'm not going to tell these people I'm 17 until I get to Texas. I'm just not. And I told my parents I'm moving to Texas. And I had a little Chevy Chevette that I had bought that was like a cheap car. And I go, I'm driving cross country and I'm going to Texas. And my mother and father were like, you're not going anywhere. You are underage. You are not going anywhere. And I go, if you guys don't let me go, I'm escaping. And my parents are like freaking out. And it was like a whole fight. And I go, you don't understand. My career is set if I do this. And my parents were like, you know, they didn't get it. You know what I mean? They didn't get what the whole thing was. And I woke up one day at four o'clock in the morning, got up, packed my car. And my mother heard me. And I said, mom, I'm so sorry, but I have to go. And she starts hysterically crying. I, how can you do this to me? I depend on you. Blah, blah, blah. I don't even speak English. Blah, 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 blah. My father gets up there crying hysterically. And then my mother goes, you are selfish. I will never forgive you. And she's bawling and bawling. And I'm like, and in that moment, I was super, super, super selfish. I just was like, nope, I'm going. And it's funny because that's in my book. And my mother, to this day, when she read that in my book, she said, I'm so sorry I did that to you because you were right. You knew better than us. What would have happened to you and us if you had not left that day? And sometimes you do know better than your parents and you have to follow your manifest destiny. Even if you screw it up, you have to follow your own screw up. Now I got to Texas and I did a great thing because that career wise, it really helped me. But personally, I was very immature. So I married the first guy I met. That was a big boo-boo. But I've lived with the consequences of my boo-boo. You're just amazing. Like, I really think it's amazing to, to hear this stuff. And I'm just taken back because it's incredible to see where you were and what you've been through and, and where you are now. And, you know, one thing that I love to transition into is, you know, on top of literally being one of the most recognized and powerful women in, in media and being a New York Times bestseller and all of this stuff. You're also on a mission to teach women that regardless of age or background, and this is something that you've proved, right? Because you've been an entrepreneur some, since a very young age and regardless of where you've came from, right? So basically what you're doing is just showing them that, hey, you can do it no matter where you're at, no matter what you've been through. What's that advice that you give them? Well, you know what? I think that, you know, not everyone has that feeling that, you know, you're going to make it or that you have to make it or that. And I think a lot of people in America in particular, I think that's why other countries are beating us. We almost got like lazy, like it's supposed to be handed to us or something. It's very entitled and it's BS. 
Nothing in life, Matt, comes easily. Nothing comes easily to me. Bill, everything in life is an uphill climb. It just is. You know, there's always somebody smarter than you, prettier than you, better looking than you, you know, has better skills than you, whatever. We live in a competitive world. In other countries, it's far more competitive than in the United States. You know, I feel like being an immigrant gave me an advantage over everybody because I had more fire in the belly than everybody. You know, I speak two languages. I am culturally uh, more diverse. You know, I have, I have more insight than most people. I think that you don't realize, you just think, you really take it for granted that you're in the United States, it's the best country in the world. I got news for everybody. You're, not, you're no longer in the best country in the world. Go to China and you'll see that they have leapfrogged right over us. You're no longer, you're not competitive at all. You go to sucky schools. Even the best schools in America suck. Sorry. Kids in other parts of the world. I went to China on my book tour. Every kid I met spoke five languages. How can you freaking wow. compete with that? Okay. <laughs> when you great. go to Mexico, Mexico, that's supposed to be a third world country. Kids there are a hundred times smarter than kids here. By the time they finish high school, it's like a college graduate. So yeah. we, we suck here. And if we don't realize that we have to kick it up, and that we have to do more and be more and work harder and have four jobs and learn more languages, travel the world. Every kid in, in this country should go to India. You know, everybody wonders why India and China have all the jobs. You should go to India where people live in such poverty, where there is no personal space, where there are so many people. And yet those kids are crushing it. They're engineers. They're taking all the jobs in Silicon Valley. When you go to Silicon Valley and people go, oh, there's no minorities don't get into Silicon Valley. Are you kidding me? None of us get into Silicon Valley. They have, they have one, they're not telling the truth. They have one building after the other of Chinese and Indian immigrants. They have taken all the jobs because they deserve it. Because they are living in poverty in those countries while studying to be engineers and speaking five languages. We need to go around the country and tell young people the truth. We suck when it comes to education, when it comes to languages, and when it comes to skills. We are lazy, and we have become entitled. A hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. I feel like, you know, that alone puts a fire in people's stomachs knowing that, you know, uh, it's not even just knowing that. I feel like they need, they need to believe it to be able to have that fire inside of them. But I couldn't agree more with you. I feel like a lot of individuals have a sense of entitlement, even coming out of college. I think when I speak at uh, colleges and universities throughout the country, one thing that I always like to say is, listen, that, that pretty little piece of paper, that's a degree. It doesn't mean shit. You know, it, it means absolutely nothing. Uh, it depends, you know, w what you're going to do with it and how you're going to take action with it. But I, I couldn't agree more with you. Now, Nelly, I do want to respect your time. I, I could literally talk to you all day, but I know how busy you are. But I would love to wrap this up with two questions that I always ask during every interview. Do you still have some time? Yes, absolutely. Okay, great. First question is, what was a piece of advice that you've received that you didn't want to hear at the time, but it proved to be true over time? Oh my God, Matt. I, I mean, so many pieces of advice, but I will tell you, I'll tell you one business one and one personal one. I think business-wise, I, I think sometimes everyone, their ego wants to be a pioneer and a founder, especially in this day and age. And one of my one of my many mentors said to me, people that are second or third or fourth to market do better than people that are the pioneer and first to market. And that's not always true because as I told you, I was first to market at Telemundo, but I have found that sometimes when I just 
chill with my ego and I wait to be second or third to market and I learn from the mistakes of the person who's first or second to market, I actually crush it in an easier way. I think in my personal life, I think that when you don't, when you're not with someone that has your exact value system, everything else doesn't matter what people look like, what ethnicity they're from, all of that. That when you don't, when you're not aligned value-wise, relationships will never work, whether it's in business or personal. For sure. No, alignment is uh, is really big and it's actually something that's been talked about quite often from individuals that hop on the show. So just seeing that common trend, you know, I feel like a lot of people that are listening are definitely catching on to that. And another thing that always pops up is, you know, self-awareness, which I think you have the most self-awareness possible, which is amazing. Now, one last question, Nelly, if you could give your younger self, the Nelly that was, you know, deciding to move to Texas or the Nelly that was selling Avon, whatever age with the knowledge that you have now, what would that advice be? If you stay at home and do nothing, 100% guaranteed, nothing will happen. Yeah. Even if you screw it up, even if you make a mistake, even if you fail, who cares? You have to fail a lot in life in order to win a couple of times. If you get up off your ass and do something, 50-50 chance something will happen. But if you stay home and you're scared and you don't walk through your fear, nothing will happen. I love it. I love it. You're amazing, Nelly. Where can people keep up with you on social media? Okay, so I'm Nelly Galan on Instagram and on Facebook. And just remember, everybody should check out my book, Self-Made, Becoming Empowered, Self-Reliant, and Rich in Every Way. Go on Amazon and get it. And it's, I love young people. I, I really have compassion for everything you guys are going through. And I want to see you all. You, you are living in the greatest era of all time with no barriers to entry to crush it. Nelly, you are so awesome. Thank you so much again. I truly do appreciate it. Thank you, Matt. Good luck with everything and, and, and keep in touch, okay? 100% great, you're the you're best. great interviewer. I Thank appreciate so that. And there you have it from the ever so powerful, insightful, and insanely motivating Nelly Galan. Big shout out to Nelly for hopping on the show and adding value to all of us, including myself. As I've said, having a podcast, having this platform has proven to be an exponential learning experience for myself. And being able to amplify the message of an amazing soul just like Nelly truly does mean the world to me. So let's join forces in getting Nelly's message out there. You heard her story, you heard her insights, her experiences, and all of that good stuff. Share this with someone today so they too can feel the impact. And hey, while you're at it, if you can drop that five-star rating and review, you know how much that would mean to the show. As our show is on the up and up, being recognized by some of the greats that are out there, we want to keep growing and you can help us do that. Being part of our community, your feedback means the world to us. So if you haven't yet, all you have to do is hit those pretty five stars and leave a review. Until next time, be blessed. Peace.